Thank you for listening to this sermon from Renaissance Church located in Montreal, Quebec. For more information about Renaissance Church, please visit our website, renaissancemtl.com. If you would like to know more about how you can partner up to see the gospel advance in Montreal, please send us an email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. Bible with you, um, you can go to John chapter 13. If you don't have one with you, that is completely okay. The scripture will be on the screen, and if you would like a Bible, we have some in the back that you could have. Um, We have French or English, depending on uh, where you are most comfortable. So, John chapter 13, use your table of contents if you would like um, to do that. John 13. So the Roman emperor, you didn't know this was starting with history today, but track with me here. The Roman emperor Julian, in the fourth century he wrote, and this is what he wrote about Christians. He said, he regretted the progress of Christianity because it pulled people away from the Roman gods. He said, the Christian faith has been specially advanced through the loving service given to strangers and through their care for the burial of the dead. It is a scandal that there is not a single Jew who is a beggar and that the Galileans care not only for their own poor, but for ours as well, while those who belong to us look in vain for the help that we should give them. Now, maybe you've heard that quote before, but basically what he's saying is the Christians are serving people. They're serving even to, to their own sacrifice. They're serving strangers. They're burying the dead, which had connotations of like disease and sickness. And the Christians were saying, it's okay, we'll do it. Even if, even if it puts us at risk, we'll do it. We'll bury the dead. So all the different situations going on. And he's saying, listen, he said, of all the Jewish people, there's no beggars. The Galileans, talking about the people from Galilee, the Christians at that time, they, cared, they don't just care for their own poor, but they care for everybody's. And he's pointing out this example who these Christians were serving and loving even to the point of sacrifice. And so we ask these early believers, these early Christians in the fourth century, what motivated them to love and serve in this way? What was it that kind of like was that spark to say, you know what, I'll serve even at the risk to myself. I'll serve even if it's difficult. And then the question of like, how can we as a church have that kind of reputation where our community says, those people serve everybody. They just serve, even if it's inconvenient, they serve. So that's what we're gonna be talking about from John chapter 13 this morning as we're continuing in our series through the gospel of John called I Am, looking at who Jesus says he is. So John chapter 13, we're gonna read verses one through 17 and then I'm going to jump to verse 34. So that'll all be here on the screen. So if you've got a Bible, read along or follow along on the screen. Here's what it says. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist." Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? 
Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but, it is, com- but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Okay, jump to verse 34. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. As we listen this morning, let's let that be our desire. God, speak to our hearts. So we just read this incredible account of how Jesus served his disciples. He set the example for them and for us of what sacrificial love and serving looks like. There's only one problem with that for us, is that often serving others goes completely against the grain of our natural desires. Like we would rather be served than serve others, Right? I'm the master at thinking that the world resolve, revolves around me. And you know what? You probably are too, right? We are really good at thinking the world is all about me. And it's simple things sometimes that I catch myself. Like if the Wi-Fi stops working in my house for like 10 minutes, I feel put out. I'm like, who's doing this? Who do I need to call? I cannot connect to Netflix. It's just spinning. It's just red and it's annoying, right? Right? Um, if someone, this is really, this is kind of like confession time. Like if I'm walking down the sidewalk and someone's walking way too slow in front of me, I'm just like, what are you doing? You're making me go slow. Like I act like they're doing it on purpose, even though obviously they're just walking somewhere, right? You know what I'm talking about. And you can probably think of examples from your own life. Like we're really good at, you know, thinking that, hey, it's all about me. The point is we don't naturally serve and think of others. Now, as humans also, right? It's not to say that we don't desire to be kind and good because we do. And we, we desire, you know, people all around us, we, we help and serve and volunteer. There's all kinds of good things we do. But then we have a second problem. Here's our second problem. If we try to love and serve people out of our own efforts, our own goodness, it leads to burnout or maybe even despair. And here's what I mean. I don't know if you've noticed, but there are needs everywhere. Like organizations need money, community organizations need volunteers, people are hungry, people are hurting. These things are like just all around us everywhere in the world. This is just reality. And if you and I, and we as the church, attempt to help and serve without the proper motivation of being loved and served by Jesus, it will all be too much. We'll get tired of helping and despair will creep in. It will feel like no matter how much we do, it's never enough. That's just the logical end of what happens when we don't have a source for us. 
We, we, I was having a conversation with someone very recently about this. We work with uh, some organizations here in the community and what I've seen just being here like five years, and I think Graham has seen it too, this community organizations have incredible people that come and work there, but they work for about a year or two and they literally just like, I can't do this job anymore and they leave. Why? Because the motivation is, hey, I wanna help, I wanna serve the community, I wanna do good, and they do that very well. But when it comes down to it, they, these people that we know, do not have a source of motivation that's deeper than everything that's around them. And they burn out and they get tired of it and they're like, I gotta find another job, this is just too much. The problems don't stop, right? Maybe you've seen that as well. But the Bible this morning, the Bible is showing us a different way. When we experience the love and servanthood of Jesus towards us personally, it changes our motivation. We love and serve others out of an overflow of his love for us. And I want that in my life. I want to love and serve people faithfully. And I want that for you. I want that for us as a church. But I don't want us to burn out and just get worn out and say, we're just, we're just tired of doing this. So how do, we go, how do we go about that? How do we go about this? overflowing source of life that allows us to serve and love people. Main thing I want us to see this morning, we love and serve like Jesus because Jesus has loved and served us. It's simple, it seems simple, but it's easy to not live that way, right? We love and serve like Jesus because Jesus has loved and served us. So John chapter 13, let's talk about the scripture a little bit. In the beginning, it says before the feast of the Passover. And this account of Jesus takes place in Jerusalem right before the Passover. This is the week leading up to when Jesus would be crucified and put on the cross. So I talked, if you were here with us last week, I talked a little bit about Passover. But in short, just to catch us up, Passover is a Jewish religious holiday celebrating God rescuing the Israelite people out of slavery in Egypt. In the Bible, you see this in the book of Exodus in the Old Testament, you see this story. And so in Jesus' day, the Jewish people would gather and celebrate Passover and families would come to Jerusalem to offer a lamb as sacrifice because it goes all the way back to Exodus. This was the picture that God gave them. They were remembering what God had done. And this, this concept of a lamb and sacrifice is actually a theme in the Gospel of John. In John chapter 1, verse 29, Jesus is coming to be baptized, and John the Baptist proclaims, he says, this will be on the screen, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So there's this theme in the book of John, we see Jesus as a sacrificial lamb. And here in John 13, the author of this book is wanting us to connect Jesus to the Passover, seeing Jesus as the sacrificial lamb of God. He's entering Jerusalem to be the sacrifice for all people. So it's, you, we saw it last week and again today, there's this, this connection of Jesus and Passover and it's just beautiful, incredible thing that Jesus is the Passover lamb coming into Jerusalem. Now, you saw that I skipped part of our scripture. Let me fill in the gap here. So we read in verse two here about a guy named Judas Iscariot. He was one of the 12 disciples, but he's about to betray Jesus. We kind of know him as being infamous, right? He was a follower of Jesus, one of the 12, and yet he is about to betray him. He handed him over to the Jewish, Jewish leaders to be arrested for 30 pieces of silver, right? He sold him out. He stuck with Jesus, he followed him, but he 
sold him to the religious leaders. And so verses 18 through 30, really the part that we really didn't read, go into more detail on this as Jesus tells the disciples. They're gathering, they're eating a meal together. He says, one of you guys, one of you is gonna betray me. And they're like looking around like, me? Not not me, you? Who's gonna do it, you know? But Jesus knew it was gonna be Judas, right? And verse 30 ends with Judas leaving this gathering, going out into the night on his way to the Jewish leaders to begin this betrayal. So that's kind of the part that we didn't read here today. But all in all, in this scripture, Jesus' remaining time with his disciples is short, just a few days here before he dies and is resurrected. And in our passage today, Jesus has a final meal with his disciples and washes their feet as a model of humble, compassionate service. We're looking at how Jesus has loved and served us and how that is a source for us. Two points, and this, they're, they're really not rocket science this morning. Um, if you are a rocket scientist, I'm sorry, I did not mean to offend you, right? You're, you're very good at what you do. I don't know if we, yeah. Okay, that's not in my notes, so I should just continue, right? Two points this morning. Jesus has loved and served us. Point number two, so we love and serve like Jesus. So let's dive into this. Jesus has loved and served us. Now, really good, like, pastor move this morning. I've got sub points. So if you're taking notes, you know, keep track of here, right? Jesus has loved and served us. And he's done this, I think, in two specific ways that we see in the scripture, by loving without end and by serving humbly. So the first thing we see of how Jesus has loved and served us is that Jesus loves without end. Verse one tells us that Jesus knew his hour had come, meaning he knew it's time for me to go to the cross. It's time for me to fulfill the purpose of why God sent me to earth. As I said last week, really in the book of John here, the gospel of John, the action picks up. The rest of this book is, we've got a few weeks of Jesus teaching his disciples, and then it's all heading to the the cross and the resurrection. So Jesus, the Son of God, became human for a purpose, to give his life on the cross for the sins of the world and to rise from the dead, defeating death. And the time here, the time has come for Jesus to be glorified, fulfilling his purpose. Now, in that moment, what do you think you would be doing? Jesus says, my time has come, my hour has come, I'm about to go to the cross. What do you think you would be doing? Right? What do you do if you have a big test or an interview or a presentation or a concert or a competition? What do you do, right? You get focused, right? You're kind of like retreat a bit, put your headphones in, get your like whatever your like psych up music is, get yourself ready for whatever it is. You might want some like me time. You're like, okay, I got to get focused here. But Jesus doesn't do that here. He actually does the opposite because rather than like retreat into himself, for some self-care, right? And prepare for his death, he served. He knew that his time had come and he could have withdrawn. And we see later, if you're familiar with the gospels, there is a point later where Jesus is praying in the garden of Gethsemane, right? But what we see in this moment is that Jesus, close to his death, does not withdraw from his disciples. He serves them. And he says, he shows them the full extent of his love by serving them. I was scrolling through Instagram last night, as I'm sure none of you do, but uh, I, I 
came upon this video of a pastor. Um, it's a guy that I've been aware of, but he actually was talking about this very, very similar thing. He was talking about this idea of serving versus like what in, in our kind of world is this con- very important concept of self-care. And he's making the point, he's like, hey, listen, boundaries are really important. Caring for yourself is really important, but what we need to understand that the example that Jesus gives is that's not always gonna be what we look like. It's okay for us to serve when it's not convenient to us. It's okay for us to serve when it might hurt a little bit. Because as followers of Jesus, we serve the way that Jesus serves. So Jesus, rather than withdrawing, he steps in to serve. In verse one, it says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now this doesn't mean that Jesus only loved them up until this time or up until his death. The wording there, it means that it was a love without limits, a love to the full extent. This is the love of Jesus towards us. And the word for love here is that Greek word agape that maybe you've heard before. We're pretty, like we, we're pretty accustomed to temporary love or conditional love. If you do this, then you get a reward. If you do this, then I'll love you. you know, we kind of know that internally, but agape love is the opposite. It is unconditional love. It is limitless love. It is perfect love that comes from God. And this is the love without end that Jesus is showing to his followers here. And as he serves them, and washes their feet, this act of service by Jesus is really kind of a precursor. It's a a picture of the cross and the act of service and sacrifice that Jesus did on the cross by dying on our behalf. Notice verse three. Jesus knows, if you look there, he knows that, he says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, but what we want to see here, Jesus knew, knows that he'll soon be ascending, going back to God. He will soon die on the cross. And it's in light of that that he models this act of service. It shows us that the cross did not catch Jesus off guard. Yes, the Jewish people put him on trial. The Romans nailed him to the cross. But Jesus was not powerless Because the depth of his sacrifice is that he willingly laid down his life. In John chapter 10, verse 18, Jesus talks about this. He's talking about his life and he says, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. Why does that matter? Because it shows us this active pursuing that Jesus says, hey, listen, I don't, I have the authority. I'm not just at the whims of these people gonna come and arrest me and crucify me. At the end of the day, Jesus is recognizing I'm the one. I have the authority. I willingly lay down my life for people. This act of love here is deep and sacrificial. We read in verse 34, Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. Well, how has he loved us? With sacrificial, deep, agape love. He has loved us without end. Sub point number two, you don't have to write that. <laughs> what do we see? How has Jesus loved us He and served us? He, Jesus serves humbly. 
So the second thing, Jesus serves humbly. The, Jesus, the Son of God, with all power and authority, he's the one deserving of all worship and honor, takes the position of a servant. Now, obviously it would be the same today, but washing feet was not a very glorious job, right? They lived in a culture, it's dirt roads, people are walking around, they probably wore sandals. I don't think that's just like a trope in movies. I think they actually wore sandals, right? Uh, so they're out all day walking around in dirt and whatever else the animals leave behind, right? If you're tracking with me, it was not clean, right? And when they would enter a home, a servant would come and wash their feet. It was an act of welcome, it was an act of hospitality, you know, the, get, the, 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 the owner of the home, they're the one doing this, but it's the servants actually doing it, right? This was not a glorious job. It was lowly. It wasn't sought after. Servants and slaves were the one that had this job. And so Jesus and his disciples, they come together for this dinner, and there's no one else there. Like, it's just them. It's like they borrowed this room. If you kind of go back and look in the story, they're in this borrowed room. And so there's no servants there. There's no, like, actual host And so what does Jesus do? He takes that place. He serves. Verse four says he laid aside his outer garments, right? He strips down to whatever a servant would wear. I don't know exactly what that looked like, but he was actively humbling himself. He strips down to what a servant would wear. He wraps a towel around his waist. I can imagine the disciples watching in awe and maybe a little bit of shock, like what is he doing, right? This would have been really weird for any like rabbi or teacher to do, let alone the son of God. This was not what someone in Jesus's position did. But it shows us something, that in the same way that Jesus laid aside his garments, he lays aside his position to serve, to serve his disciples, to serve us. Now, this is not just like a random one-time story. This isn't a random occurrence. This is who Jesus is. In Mark chapter 10, the disciples are trying to gain power and position with Jesus. And Jesus responds by saying this. He says, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must first be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, he's talking about himself, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. This is just who Jesus is and the way he acts. In Philippians chapter two, this passage says it so clearly. Jesus was equal with God, yet humbled himself as a servant, the Apostle Paul writes to the, to the church in Philippi, he says, have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. This is the nature of Jesus. This is who he is and the way that he is. He is a servant. Jesus emptied himself. He took on the form of a servant. He laid aside what he truly deserved in order to love and serve his disciples and to love and serve you and I. This is the servant heart of Jesus. And what's incredible about this passage in John 13 is this. Think about Judas. 
Jesus knows what Judas is about to do. He's about to betray him. But it says that Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. That included Judas. Jesus washed his feet as well. You and I, we, we, we can't hide from Jesus. There's nothing we can hide. He sees the good, the bad, the ugly. He knows everything about us and yet he has still given his life for us. He still loves us. He still serves us. And this is love and this is who Jesus is. It's his heart towards you. It's his heart towards me this morning. In our dirtiness, in our unworthiness, because of our sin, Jesus serves us. We don't have to get our lives together. We don't have to pull everything together and be better. It is Jesus serving us in the midst of who we are. We love and serve like Jesus because Jesus has loved and served us. Let's shift gears a little bit. When we think about applying this to our lives, okay, you should have the question when you come, I should have the question, okay, we've read the Bible, we've seen what Jesus did, why does that matter? Well, it, has, it matters inherently because Jesus is Jesus and it's worthy of it. When we think about our own lives, we say, okay, what does that mean for how I live? What does that mean for how I think and act? And when we think about applying this passage to our lives this morning, I think the most important phrase in this passage is this. Two times it says, as I have. In verse 15 and verse 34, Jesus says, as I have. And I want us to notice that because our motivation for loving and serving must come from what Jesus has done for us. Otherwise, we burn out. It's too much. We end up despairing because there is never enough time or energy to fix everything. And so we look and say, okay, Jesus, what do we do? How do we do it? And Jesus says, love and serve as I have served you. And so we don't apply this by saying, okay, I've got to do more. We apply this by quieting our hearts and remembering even in this moment, spending some time today, later in the day, throughout the week, taking time to remember and think about the love of Jesus towards us. The way that Jesus has served us by dying on the cross. So whoever you, wherever you are, whoever you are, wherever you come from this morning, God loves you. He loves you this morning. And so before we start saying, okay, yeah, you're right, I should really be more loving. I should, I should serve people, you know, all of that. Before we can get there, we have to first let the good news of Jesus explode in our hearts like a bomb. A good way, a good bomb, right? Not a bad one. But that the love of Jesus sinks in and reminds us all over again Jesus, you have done everything for me. You've given your life on the cross to rescue me out of my sin. You have loved me. You have served me. And that's what motivates us. So point number two, the first one was this, Jesus has loved and served us. Point number two, so we love and serve like Jesus. We love and serve like Jesus. And we do this 
Here's my sub points, all right? You guys with me? You awake? You can like nod your head. Yeah, you're good if you're awake. We do this by serving with humility. And secondly, by loving one another as Christ has loved us. Serving with humility and loving others as Christ has loved us. So think about how you can apply this. Think about your own life. As we remember and let the gospel sink into our hearts, we put this into practice. Verses 14 through 16, Jesus has given us the example. He says this. He says, Jesus said, hey, I've washed your feet. He said, if I then, if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. He says, I have given you an example. This is what Jesus has done for us. We are to serve others. There's, you know, it's pretty simple here in this passage. He says, you ought to do this. Like there are things in the Bible that Jesus says, this is something you should do. You ought to do this. For those whose lives are changed by Jesus, you should do this. And Jesus is telling us that here. But he doesn't do it apart from the fact that he has done it himself. He has given the example. Look back to Philippians 2. This was on the screen here a moment ago. And Paul, the apostle Paul, is writing to this church in a city called Philippi. And he tells them, he says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And he says in verse five, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And we already read this a moment ago, but I'm gonna read it again. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. We serve with humility by pursuing the mindset of Jesus. Right here in this passage, Paul's writing to the church. He's telling them, hey, don't live selfishly. Think about others. Don't just think about yourself. But he says, instead of doing that, have the attitude of Jesus, which is what? The attitude of a servant. Looking to Jesus as our example here. As Jesus was telling this to his followers, his disciples, there's an immediate application here for us in the church where he says, hey, I've washed your feet. You ought to do this same thing. There's an immediate application to us that we in this church are to serve each other. Not only looking out for our own interests, but for those of others. Church, we are a family. So what I'm talking about here is ongoing, long-suffering, patient, generous servanthood with each other. How do we do that? Well, there's a ton of ways. But I think what we need to think about when we, when, when we say, hey, if, I think most of us have that desire, right? We, we want to serve each other. But practically, what does that look like? I think we have to pay attention. Like that's one of the biggest things is just paying attention to each other noticing what's what's happening in your life. And that might mean that we just need to give somebody a phone call. I don't know, that's kind of weird. When your phone rings, are you like, oh my gosh, what do I do? Someone's actually calling me? You're like, just, I'll text and see what you need, right? Whatever. But it means that we pay attention and we notice what's going on in people's life. That's one of the good things about social media. We can notice what's happening in people's lives. As they share things, we can celebrate with them or, 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 be sorrowful with them. We have to pay attention to the needs of others. That we share when others are in need. We give 
we encourage. I think that's one of the biggest ways that we can serve each other is noticing what's going on and come alongside with encouragement for people. We encourage, we pray for each other and with each other. You know, there are those specific times, you know, when someone has a baby, the church can say, hey, let's get some meals. When someone's dealing with grief, hey, let's get some meals or some food. Let's, what do you need? Let's help each other. Let's serve each other. But we have to pay attention and notice those things. So there's an immediate application to us as the church. That when we serve in the way that Jesus served, we're willing to not be the center of attention but we're willing to step out of what we think we deserve and serve others. So as Jesus told us to his disciples, I believe he's speaking that to the church today. Jesus told them, I have served you. You ought to do this for each other. Now, I don't think today that means that here, sitting here in Montreal today, that we should just regularly be washing each other's feet. I think that was a cultural thing. I think the deeper heart behind this is serve each other. Even if it's sacrificial, even if it costs you something, serve each other. But we also look like Jesus when we serve in other areas. So I believe the church and the life of the church, it should be happening, but I believe it should happen in our homes. Whether you have family or roommates or whoever is in your home, we can serve those that we live with without grumbling and complaining. I don't know, okay, right? But we can do it with joy. I guarantee you, I do not do this perfectly. But one of the things that I, I hope, I think it's a simple thing, one of the things I try to do for Abby is she pretty much, I can just kind of know when it's time for coffee. Like Abby is very capable of making coffee, but I just kind of see it as my role. You know what? I'm responsible for the coffee and I'm going to serve coffee. And so there are days when she'll be like, hey, are we gonna have coffee? And it's like already done. And she's like, oh, wow. So, but in our homes, what are practical ways to serve each other? Not out of like, oh, I've gotta do this just because it's home, we gotta get it done, but to truly serve each other in our homes, whether that's with family or roommates or whoever it is. We can serve in our community with friends and neighbors. Notice, again, this, is this, this application of just learning to pay attention and be aware. Notice your neighbors. Notice what's going on in, your lives, in their lives. Talk to them. Get to know them. Give them your phone number saying, hey, if you ever need anything, reach out to me. Send me a text. Welcome them to reach out to you. Pay attention to what's happening in their lives. Now, not like a stalker or a weird creep, like peeking out your windows all the time, right? No, not that but just simply paying attention, getting to know them, knowing what's going on in their lives. Noticing when they have needs. You know, it's, it's, sometimes it's pretty simple. I think it was last, maybe late last summer, uh, the na- our neighbors that live across the street from us had like a pipe break in their house. And like, we came home from a church one Sunday and they were like in tears and there's like, they're just like dragging things out of their house. And it was like, it was a major mess. And so, you know, I said, hey, can I help? And they're like, well, I think we've got everything moved out. Uh, this, see, wait, this story connects, just wait. <laughs> but it was just a simple, it was an obvious way of how can we serve them right now? And so I said, you know, can we help? Can we, you guys need dinner? And they're like, no, we're okay. And then eventually I was like, you know what? I have an idea. And so I walked out and I said, can I make you a coffee? See, I didn't realize these two stories connected, right? And I guess that's my thing, right? Um, I, and, and she was like, that would be amazing. And so it's not, it doesn't always have to be these massive, earth-shattering things, but it's paying attention. 
to love and serve people. We can also serve those who are difficult to serve. What about the neighbor that always leaves their trash out in the wrong place or takes your parking spot or smokes pot right outside your window with your window open? What do you do? How do you serve? We serve them. Why? Because we're so good and just like, oh, this is something I have to do? No, we serve them because Jesus showed us how to serve. Even by serving Judas, if you look, if, you, if this is a scale of who deserves it or not, Judas did not deserve it, but Jesus served anyway. Serving by nature is sacrificial. It might take more time than you thought. It's probably gonna cost you something. It might be painful. And sometimes serving people might look like walking with someone for months and months through addiction or pain or grief. It might mean serving someone and getting nothing in return, getting no applause, not being noticed. It might be a long time, but serving is sacrificial. Because the way of Jesus is not about power and celebrity and comfort and applause. The way of Jesus is about humility and servanthood. Jesus says, I have served you, you ought to do this, you should do this. And church, we have been called to serve with humility. The second thing, last point of this, is that we are to love one another as Christ has loved us. Verses 34 and 35, Jesus says, a new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. What does a new commandment mean? It doesn't mean um, that something just like, that it's this like brand new thing that they hadn't been doing before, but it means fresh. It doesn't mean just like recent or different. It means, hey, this is a fresh command. I'm, I'm renewing this for you. Jesus is reiterating what he's calling them to do. He's talking to his disciples. He says, listen, here's what I'm calling you to do. Love one another. And really, in kind of the big picture of the Bible, Jesus is forming here in John 13. It's one of the first times we see Jesus is describing a new community. When we go to the book of Acts and read through the book of Acts, you see it start to take shape. He's saying, hey, this is what I've called you to do. As my followers, as my disciples, love one another. Because when you do that, the world around you sees that you belong to Jesus. He's making them a new community. Community. So for you and I, as we in the church love one another in the same way that Christ has loved us, humbly and sacrificially as a servant, the world around us will see Jesus in us. I read a commentary this week and it was talking about Christians, about believers, followers of Jesus, and this is what it said. The attitude of love would be the bond that would keep them united. It would be the convincing demonstration that they had partaken of his own spirit and purpose. Jesus had loved them without reservation and without limit and expected them and us to do the same. This means that the way, remember, Jesus is directing this to his disciples and so the immediate application is he's talking to us as the church. Of course we should love people. Here at Renaissance, we say love Jesus, love each other, love our world. All of those things matter, but in this context, he's talking about this new community, what we know as the church. He's saying love one another. 
And this means that the way that we interact with each other will either draw people to Jesus or push them away. Some of you may have very up-close experiences with the church and you're like, why would I want that? I don't want to be involved in that. It pushes people away when there is not true servanthood and sacrificial love in the family of the church. Not perfection, but humility and serving and love. When that is not present, it repels people from Jesus. But when it's present, it draws people to Jesus. So what does this look like in real life? One of the things I think it means that we can, we can share meals with people in our homes. People who don't know and love and follow Jesus, people who are different from us, we can invite them. Okay, so what does that look like? What does that mean? It means that maybe you get another family in the church and you say, hey, come to dinner. We're gonna have a barbecue with our neighbors or we're gonna go out to a restaurant. Would you come along? And as those things happen, people are observing, this is what it looks like when Christians love each other and interact with each other. Many of you serve and volunteer at our, our food bank once a month. I think that is another very, very practical place where we can live this scripture out. Why? Because at the food bank, there's many of us there volunteering, serving, interacting, laughing, talking, all those things. But there are other people there serving with us who currently are not followers of Jesus, but they love to serve and volunteer. And it's in a context like that where our prayer is that people are observing us and saying, Okay, they love each other. That's what it looks like to be a church. Same thing can happen at community events and interactions in the community. A couple, last weekend, we were, many of us were at a festival in the neighborhood. The way that we interact and show love and serving to each other, I fully believe gets noticed by people. The people see a difference in followers of Jesus when we are loving one another. I think in our world today, another practical area where people can see this, and this is a scary one, but is social media. Think about the way that you act and interact with people. I don't know, I see lots of things online. I see lots of things by Christians, and I'm like, what are you doing? Why are you fighting with each other over whatever it is? Stop fighting. The, why would anyone want Jesus if they look at Christians and see people just fighting over stuff? So, yeah, it's digital, it's that world, all of that, but I believe it matters that people watch the way that we act and respond and interact in all of those things because the way that we interact with each other will either draw people to Jesus or push them away. There's a question here of what, what is it that sets us apart as a church? A few months ago, many of you may have been here, we went through a series called Visible Community and we talked about what is it that makes the church recognizable. And we kind of talked about the like slightly more formal structures of that, meaning like, have you put your faith in Jesus and how baptism is that formal outward symbol and sign of I belong to Jesus and baptize into the church and seeing how things like when we take communion together, these are these formal structures that makes the church set apart and visible. We're talking about church membership, that all these things are good things that are the structures. 
But this is a little bit more of like, rather than like the formal structure, I think this is a little bit more of the organic thing that's happening under the surface. Because what is it that sets us, apart, sets us apart? Is it a building? Is it like matching t-shirts or maybe we'll do matching Renaissance tattoos? No, those things are not, we're not gonna do that. Um, those things don't set us apart. The thing that sets us apart and makes us recognizable is humble, suffering love. That's the sign of recognition for Jesus and his followers. It's what sets us apart. Verse 35, Jesus says, by this, he's talking about when you love one another, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And I love that because it, in a sense, it takes this pressure of us saying, okay, we've gotta go like convince people. We've gotta go convince a world to follow Jesus. I believe we should go. We should share the good news of Jesus. It's good news. But it takes the pressure off to say, Let's just live our lives and love each other and serve each other in the community and with people and around people and we are trusting that God is at work, that people will see the love of Jesus in us. We love and serve like Jesus because he has loved and served us. Take a moment this morning and let that sink in. I said it a minute ago and I'll say it again. God loves you. And maybe this morning you believe that and that is encouraging. But maybe you're sitting here thinking, really? It's easy to say. That sounds like a poster or a nice little Instagram post. Does God really love me? But God truly does love you. You are created by God with purpose. You're created by God to know and love and follow him. And it's a love that is endless. It's limitless. It is a perfect, unconditional love. He doesn't love you only on your good days. He loves you even at your worst. And if you and I were in that room that night with Jesus, the son of God, he would have served you. He would have washed your feet. And even deeper than that, Jesus did serve you and I by giving his life on the cross. He served and loved us sacrificially. Think about Judas again. Judas is on his way to betray Jesus, but Jesus served him and loved him. In Romans chapter five, verse eight, Paul writes, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And for every person in this room this morning, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you have put your faith in him, that is your story, that even when you were at your worst, even when you didn't have it all together, Christ died for you and loved you and made a way for you to be forgiven, made a way for you to know God. That is your story, sinful and broken and yet loved. But this morning, if you're sitting here and you have not put your faith in Jesus, you're not a follower of Jesus, the good news that you can hear this morning is that 
Jesus loves you. And even in your brokenness and sin, even when you don't have it all together, even at your worst, Jesus loved and served you by dying on the cross. Well, why does it matter that Jesus did that? Who is this Jesus and why does it matter? Well, it matters because Jesus is the son of God. He stepped out of heaven, took on human form. He lived a sinless and perfect life. You and I don't do that. We're not able to do that. We sin, we run from God, but Jesus lived a perfect life. And then, out of his love for us, Jesus died on the cross. He took our place. Because of our sin, we deserve God's judgment. It's not a popular thing to say, but because of our sin, we deserve punishment. And if that was the end of the story, then who would want anything to do with this Christian thing? Nobody would but it's not the end of the story because Jesus took our place. He took the punishment of, that we deserve. He took it upon himself on the cross. He died in our place and he rose from the dead. Death is no longer the end of the story. Our brokenness, our shortcomings, our failings is not the end of the story. Jesus has taken our place. So how do we, what do we do with that? It means that we come to God with our emptiness and our brokenness and we say, I cannot fix myself. I cannot deal with my own sin. I can't make it go away. Jesus, I have no hope but you. And when we put our faith in Jesus, that Jesus, not just like, yeah, yeah, I believe that Jesus was, is a guy, he lived, I believe in Jesus. That's kind of a cheap way to talk about it. The depth of it is to say, I believe that Jesus is the son of God, that he died on the cross to pay for my sin, and that I have no other way to God but through Jesus. And it's that act of faith of letting go and saying, Jesus, I'm all in. Here's my life, take my, take my life. And we turn away from our sin and we say, Jesus, I don't want my own life. I don't want my own agenda. Jesus, my life is yours. The Bible describes this as salvation. It's that moment where we step out of our darkness and our sin and into light. We are dead in our sin is what the Bible says, but Jesus makes us alive to God. And it is good news. And there is no other way, there is no other hope but Jesus. Jesus has loved and served us and the door is open to anyone who will humble themselves and say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus has shown us what to do. And he's told us here in the scripture what we ought to do. But we cannot do it on our own. It is only as we see that Jesus has taken our place and that it's through Jesus that we are made right with God that we can then do what we ought to do. It is only through Jesus. We say this often, but this is what we're talking about is called the gospel, good news. And it's not religion. Because religion says, if I do X, Y, Z, and if I do that enough, and if I'm consistent, and if I do those things, if I do what, I'm ought, what I ought to do, if I do all that, then God will love me. I'll be accepted by God. My good will outweigh my bad, whatever it is. But that is not what we're talking about. We're talking about good news that says, no, that system doesn't work. 
You cannot fix yourself. You cannot be good enough. But God says, I love you. And I've given my life in your place. And so then we say, okay, well, we still have this funny little word, ought. You ought to do this. Yeah. But we no longer say, I do this so that God will love me. Instead, we say, I do this because God has loved me. It seems simple. It seems like a pastor just kind of playing around with words. It's not. It is a massive shift in perspective. To say, I don't do things to earn God's love. I have experienced and felt God's love in my heart, and so I live and I do things and I love people and I serve people because God has done that for me. So if you came in here heavy and burdened this morning, my hope and my prayer is that you'd kind of like float out of here today, re-energized by the depth of God's love for you. And as we kind of sit in that and bask in that, we start to look at other people differently. We love and serve like Jesus because Jesus has loved and served us. Um, Annabelle and Annie, if you guys want to come, we're going to continue in worship. And as they're coming, what is it that God is speaking to your heart today? What is it? How do you need to respond to him today? Maybe this morning you are not a follower of Jesus. You have never come to the end of yourself and said, Jesus, I put my faith in you. And there's no shame in that. There's no shame at all. Rather, Jesus is welcoming you saying, come to me. I am what you need. And so maybe today you need to put your faith in Jesus. You need to say, Jesus, save me. Forgive me of my sin. I have no other hope but you. We would love to talk with you about that. We would love to walk you through that process of what it means to say, I give my life to Jesus. Maybe this morning you just, even as we worship, even as we close, maybe you just need to meditate and think about the love of God towards you. Begin to let that fill your mind to say, God, you have loved me. I need to let that sink into my heart. Or maybe in a practical sense, you need to think about who are those people in my life that I can serve, that I can pay attention to what's going on in their lives. What neighbor or friend can I get to know better so that I can serve them? Maybe we need to think about how, how am I loving people in the church? Or maybe, how am I not loving people in the church? Do I need to adjust? Do I need to ask Jesus to recalibrate my heart? Do I need to remember I love and serve because Jesus has loved and served me? I forgive because Jesus has forgiven me. So as we worship, as we sing this morning, whatever it is, we respond, not, you, don't, you don't respond to me, you don't respond to this church. The response is, Jesus, what are you speaking and how can I follow you? Let's close in prayer. Thank you for listening to the sermon from Renaissance Church. If you have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more, please feel free to contact us by email at renaissance.mtl.gmail.com or reach out to us on social media. It's our passion to love Jesus, love each other, and love our world.